caught offside with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the Upper West Side of frigid Manhattan. Andrew Gunling, JJ Devaney. What up, brother? Well, Andrew, I'm giddy. I'm giddy with Sprite and halal food. I'm giddy with uh, three points for the U.S. men's national team. Mm, as the U.S. do, in fact, win 1-0 in Columbus. They inch their way closer and closer to World Cup qualification. We are here with you in the immediacy of the aftermath of this one um, for another one of our U.S. reactionary emergency podcasts, whatever you want to call it. We I don't are think, here. I don't think this one is a, an emergency. I feel satisfied, satisfied by the three points. But uh, mostly satisfied by the excellent food from the Casbah food truck. Um, I'm in a weird mood, I'm not going to lie. I don't <laughs> usually consume sugary drinks. I've had one can of Sprite. And God, I, you're like a, a seven-year-old. You can't, you can't give JJ too much apple juice. You He'll bounce off the walls. Yes, and urinate on the carpet. You can't, um, you can't look at me right now, I'm so giddy. Because you don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. He's in a weird mood. It's actually made me kind of uncomfortable. Let's talk about this game. It's why we're here, after all. I mean, look, three <laughs> points are three points. Like, what a start. Whenever you say, I mean, look. Well, because I know the reaction. I know the way I felt when it was over. We kind of looked at each other, and we were sort of like, fine. It was fine. Like, I don't know. I haven't been on Twitter. You know, sometimes I like to gauge reaction on Twitter after U.S. games. Sometimes yeah. I, I don't. Uh, this is one where... I just haven't happened to look at it yet. We started recording almost right as the the final whistle blew, so I I haven't really been on it over the course of the last 90 minutes. Um, I just know the way that I feel about it is that they played okay. Like, there weren't just like my basic tenor and tone of how this game felt was that the U.S. were were never really under any kind of prolonged threat, which is good. Uh, just the nature of the scoreline in a World Cup qualifier at home, a game that you kind of have to take three points in, just the nature of it being nil-nil for as long as it was and then being one-nil for as long as it was, you're on edge a little bit. You know that any you know unlucky bounce of a ball one way or another uh, could change the way this is going to go. So you're on edge from that perspective. But in terms of how the game actually was played, I mean, look, it was it was... It was fairly dominant. Like I, I hesitate to use that word a little bit because it's a one nil win for the US at home against El Salvador. Yeah. That doesn't feel doesn't feel like you should be using the word dominance to describe a game like that. But you know, we'll go through some of it. I mean, it's funny, the stats don't entirely align with what I felt like my eyes saw. The stats are very conclusive. If you and again, the stats will never, ever replace watching a game right. or watching the flow of a game. But they're a good indicator. And actually going back through my notes. When I went back through my notes, uh, right before we pressed record, I was surprised at how many chances we actually had. We spurned a lot. And I would tend to agree with the analysis of our colleague, Taylor Twellman, who said, had Ferreira's two chances in the first half, two really good chances, like guilt-edged cha- uh, chances, had either of those gone in, or both of those have should have gone in, then Certainly we're lo- the one at the far post. We're looking at this game in a much different light. It's a 2-0 lead at halftime. It's comfortable. Um, I would I would also maybe agree a little bit with what Hercules Gomez said, that the adjustments made in the second half took a little bit of rhythm out of the team and meant that we, we didn't really push on when we were dominant. Um, it, I'm not saying this was a, a good performance, uh, a great performance. It was a solid performance, but I do think the missed chances in the first half um, kind of moulded our final view of the game. And the 1-0 
is it doesn't look great, but we had 17 shots. The XG was 2.98. Uh, Did it get that high? Because I have a stat here that that gives me a different number, uh, which is slightly lower, but still an interesting stat. Mine is from Stats Perform. Okay, so uh, this uh, the one I have here says this came from ESPN. Um, it said while the scoreline may not suggest a dominant U.S. performance, its 2.81 xG is its highest in this cycle, and its 0.21 xG allowed is its lowest in this cycle. Yeah. So, I mean, look. I tend to, when I'm going to say what was the U.S.'s most dominant performance in qualifying, I'm not going to say this game. 1-0 at home against El Salvador doesn't, I just can't, I can't tell you that that's been their most dominant performance. But for those who swear by XG and XG allowed, you could say it was a convincing performance. Here's another way to look at it. Um, We often finish games where, and and I have certainly since I, I started watching this team for work and for pleasure or whatever um, this international side I would see us win 2 or 3 nil against this kind of opposition I think that wasn't a good performance and I could point to moments where we were cut through or we were opened up 28 minutes Dest loses the ball El Salvador break and Roldan fires one wide and then the next chance the only other real chance that uh, El Salvador had came in the 85th minute where Rivas had that glancing header wide where yeah, I mean, that wasn't really... I, I think he should have done better. But that's it for yeah. the entirety of the game. Pretty much, yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah, um, there wasn't a ton to feel terrible about. We can go through... I, I kind of kept my notes here of what were some of the big moments from this one. We can kind of give analysis off of each of those. 16th minute, JJ, it's funny. Um, Jesus Ferreira gave us one of those mental dilemmas where you know we never we never want anyone to dive. Um, I do. But it was one of those situations where it's like they're swinging a leg at you pretty recklessly. If you go down there, you're you're getting the call. Like a guy who swings his leg out in the way that the – I don't remember who it was, but the El Salvadorian defender – Taps him on the shin. In the way that he does it, he's not getting the benefit of the doubt. So if you go down there, you're going to get a penalty. But obviously he didn't need to go down there as evidenced by the fact that he stood up and got a shot off, which was wound up being a poor shot. It was kind of one of those where like – if I'm a neutral watching, I'm, I'm applauding him for not going down. But I'm not a neutral watching. I'm a fan of the U.S. Kind of wanted him to go down there. I, I think what was in his head and in his mind was, I'm still on my feet. The turn I've executed, despite the knock, has worked. Therefore, this is a very scorable chance. And if anything, he tightened up after that, blasted it over the bar. It was a brilliant, brilliant chance. If that hits hits the net, I think El Salvador are in real trouble. Yes, yes. Um, and, and up until that, really, the U.S. had... You know, it had been, El Salvador had been aggressive in certain areas, pressing, also compact, kind of did a good job generally holding the U.S. back. Um, but Way had been making that run between the El Salvadorian centre-back and left-back into that channel, and it had been causing a few problems. The U.S. were trying to grow into the game. Had they scored then, like, I, I, I do feel they would have kicked on and kept going and found their rhythm, but it didn't didn't happen, and... And it hasn't happened. The first half has been pretty barren throughout qualifying for Greg Berhalter's team. So apparently, so what is it now? The U.S. have scored 13 goals in qualifying, and 11 of them have occurred in the second half. Yeah, only two in the first half. That's yeah, that's a little bit of a worry. I don't. Yeah, you know, it's enough of a sample size now to say, okay, for whatever reason, they don't start well, um, and for whatever reason, they make the right adjustments in the second half, or they're 
just more fit than their opposition and are able to with you know allow the other team to wait until they wear down and the U.S. never really does, which has kind of always been a trait of theirs. Um, but as you advance into you know a World Cup or when you play Mexico or Canada, which is coming up away from home, you know. You don't want to get burned by having to come from behind against better opposition. They can get away with it starting slowly against some of these other teams from CONCACAF, but you want to measure yourself against better teams, and you don't want to fall into one-nil holes, two-nil holes. I, uh, they got to start better at I, some point. I agree, and I do think that tonight was a chance to rewrite that narrative with those chances. They were really good chances, Andrew. I, I can't get away from that fact. Um, well, the 19th minute was the really good one. Ferreira's got to score. It's one of those where, you know, I don't always use that term, but this is a situation when you're when you're point blank, keeper's out of position, you kind of wrong foot it there, puts it over the bar. It's just it's one where I feel like he's got to score. Des does well with the cross. It's a good flicked header. It was a love I think it was Musa that had the initial switch of the play out to Dest. And it was just such a good ball. He had the whole right hand side, drove into it. Um the cross was excellent, flicked on, like you said. Shot selection, if you want to call it, foot selection wasn't yeah wasn't great, and yeah he's got to score at that at that level. But even then, on the forty first minute, you know right before half time, um, I think it was Pulisic had it. Then it was um, he gave it. He, no, way it turns out at the end of this move wanted Pulisic to give the ball quicker, but it's Pulisic out to Robinson. Then he finds way inside, and way just I know he had to come back a bit for the ball. He takes too long, just way too long. Andrew, for so, me, he's got to adjust quicker. It's a little behind him. He can't take it first time. Yeah. So he's got to settle it. Eh, maybe That's you're right. a really it's good not, chance, it's not one man. I'm not going to kill him for that. I, 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 He's allowed the defender to get back and, and recover there. He's got to do something a little bit clever, shift the ball quicker, um, and, and, and hit the target there. And he doesn't even get a chance to do that because the block comes in. That's a huge chance for me, too. That's, that's three... Three goals right there, if you, if you want to put it like that, without the opposition offering anything going the other way. Did Matt Turner go full stretch for anything? No. Maybe, maybe, maybe Not really. I mean, Roldan's shot that went wide, maybe he died for it. I can't remember. But he dove for it, but it was off. Yeah, It, but wasn't, it wasn't a shot on target. Didn't, didn't have, have a save to make. Uh, yeah. Um, no, it was a pretty, pretty easy night for him. The defense in general was not really called in for, you know, Tyler Adams came back. He tracked back well a couple times. A couple of times, um, yeah. I remember him covering down the left-hand side. Not a ton of last-ditch defending, though, going on tonight. No, uh, there was not a lot of there was not a lot of trouble given by the opposition in that sense. So it, you know, you didn't really see the Richard Zimmerman access get stretched hugely. There was a couple of times, but Adams does cover into those gaps very, very well, mm-hmm. and um, and that's. That's a key part yeah. of what he does. It is one of those things, though, where if you're if you're hoping, you know, we we've seen a good amount of Walker Zimmerman up to this point. We kind of know what he's about. Haven't seen a ton of Chris Richards, uh, so it's one of those games where if, if you're hoping to get a sense of okay, what can this guy handle? How good is this guy? You didn't you didn't really get that tonight. No, he, and it's no fault of his. Uh, you know, he played one. He had a pass, a couple passes that I thought he distributed the ball really nicely, which is nice to get from a, your center back. Um, but in terms of actual defending, wasn't really called into action very often throughout this. I, I would say the man to the left of him, we got a, a real flavor of a player settling into his position, and in terms of advancing the ball and and getting forward and and good passing, good general link up play. Another good night for Anthony Robinson. 
talk more about him when this when after we go through our uh, oh, I'm chronological. Sorry. I, I have a few categories, and his name will come up. Oh, I'm so, I'm sorry. Did I did I deviate from the from the set list that you didn't even send to me? I'm allowed to have made my own categories that I want to go through. Right. It's, I don't need the world to know. And well, folks, this is just this is like some kind of. Yeah, I made a rundown. Yeah, that, for and, me though. And you froze me out of it. You left me to my own devices. I can't even touch the hotkeys anymore, guys. Th- this is if you. It's the slow phasing out has begun. Uh, it's it's yeah the slow phasing out. By, First it was the hotkeys tonight. Phase two. By the end of the, the rundown. Mo- yeah, by the end of the month, guys, it's going to be Hercules Gomez in this seat here. Yeah, your microphone I'm going to have replaced with a, a banana. Unplugged. There's already a picture being printed off downstairs at security. Don't allow this man access to the building. Have you seen this boy? Uh, let's move to the second half, JJ, the 52nd minute. Goal! Goal! Anthony Robinson, uh, Tim Weah, his shot was saved. Great save from Gonzalez. Ball pops up. El Salvador, slow to react. Ferreira's flicked header to keep that thing alive was excellent. Yep, flicks it to Anthony Robinson, who smashes home. It's one of the things coming into this set of qualifiers that I was most excited about was we happened to be in a place and time where certain members of this team all happened to be in really good form at the same time. Um, you know, we've talked about Weston McKinney and how he's played for Juventus over the course of the last month. We have not talked quite as much about Anthony Robinson at Fulham, but I'll tell you right now, he's been he's been excellent for them. It's going Quite well. Golapalooza at the cottage. It's going quite well. They are the first team to score 600 goals in four games. Wow. Amazing statistic. Not far off it. Is that Paul Carr? It, it, no. Is that a Paul Carr stat? All other stats will be from Paul oh, okay. Carr. Um, but Anthony Robinson is one of those guys who came into this in excellent form. And you wonder, okay, well, how would that translate from club to national team? Maybe it's a coincidence. I don't know. Totally different group of players. Totally different system that they're going to play. But... He was on it tonight. He was excellent tonight, and he got the goal, deserved it. Shortly after that, he almost had another chance. Um, what was it? Uh, ball came to I forget what minute it was. I, I thought I had it here, but I don't. But he, he had a couple good opportunities, played in a couple good balls. So, um, Oh, yeah, it was the 64th minute. He, he forced a, a parry from Gonzalez. Yeah. He shot at, the, at Gonzalez's near post. Now, keeper should have saved it and did save it. And he had another one where there was a break. I think it was... Uh, Aronson was slaloming across the front of the box and he tees it up for him and he just he curls it and it uh, doesn't get enough on it goes straight into the keeper's arms but he was up for the game tonight there was a buzz about his play there was an intensity he looked very very happy from early on actually I was worried about him in the first few minutes where he was pushed into Pulisic's path I was a little more worried about Christian yeah. In that collision. Yeah. He seemed to take the worst of it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm not sure that they necessarily linked that well down that side. I thought there's a couple of times... Pulisic, and I'm sure that's a performance we'll get to, but I do think that there's times when he, he takes too much responsibility and that manifests itself in carrying the ball into tackles, trying to beat players. When moving that ball, speed of play, getting the ball out wide, when you've got guys like Dest and Robinson outside you put the ball into space early allow them to get onto the ball and I think I'm not sure that tandem worked brilliantly tonight Yeah, if, that's, if I'm being honest that's fair uh, that's certainly fair uh, in terms of the rest of the game uh, Musa had a, a excellent ball that he chested down 
wasn't able to get a full foot to it, but he kind of had a nice quick yeah. flick of the foot uh, and forced Mario Gonzalez into another really good save. 57th minute off a corner kick, free header for Weston McKinney, put it over the net. He's, got, ta- he's got to score. I want to talk a little bit more about set pieces uh, a little bit later well, on. You're going to sound like Alexi Lalas. They're important, especially in in you know individual game situations in in qualifying and frankly, in tournaments. And frankly, we're crap at them right now. Right now, yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a problem. Um, that yeah, we'll we'll address that a little bit more. But in terms of the way the rest of the game went, not really a whole lot. It kind of petered out uh, a little bit. Maybe some half chances here or there. Uh, only other thing I wanted to ask you about before we get into some of these categories here, the lineup. Didn't really have many problems with it. And I know some people did. Obviously, Zach Steffen's back was an issue. Um, Matt Turner in goal tonight. Yeah. I feel similarly about each of them. There's they're one A, one B to me, uh, so that I'm cool with it. Uh, Jesus Ferreira is the one that I think raised eyebrows. I was generally okay with that too. My guess is, uh, in looking at things, I think they view okay. We've got three games here in a week. We're not playing the same eleven in every game. Canada is probably the most important game of these three. Obviously, home games are important. You got to get three points, but Canada's the one. If you can steal points in Canada, uh, you know that that's a massive one that could really swing the way you're going to view the remainder of qualifying. So you want your best eleven for that one. Maybe that's why Ricardo Pepe is being rested. Um, maybe that's why Aronson didn't come on until what was it, the sixty something, seventieth, somewhere around there. Mm. Um, Although I don't know directly who Aronson will slot in for if he were going to play the full 90 yeah, against Canada. I would have, I, you know, I don't want to pick holes either because, like I said to you before the game when we saw the lineups, well, that midfield picks itself now. That midfield three oh, picks itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though I saw some people saying we're not getting enough out of them. And maybe we're not. Maybe there's more, in, certainly in, in final product, I would think that yeah, would. Uh, final, tonight, maybe tonight. final third, you want them to be a bit more of an active participant but like we just said you know it's Musa who nearly scored in the second half um maybe you want Weston McKinney to have more of an active role in in the final third and in, in creativity and setting up goals he had a couple kind of quick yeah. passes that he tried to make that got deflected or knocked down before they reached their intended target um so maybe but like but yeah go back that, to- it's those those are the three I, I'm not changing that midfield defensively center back I'm obviously not changing the fullbacks. What is there a change to be made at centre back? Does someone else come in? I mean, I think you look. You know, Miles Robinson is is like the guy for me. Yes, uh, so he's one of Andrew's people. So I think if you're playing your preferred eleven, he is one of them. Now I don't know if that means you take out Zimmerman or Richards. I don't know. Both were fine tonight. So I could go either way. Which maybe you want? I don't know if you if you prefer a Robinson-Zimmerman partnership because I feel like they've probably played a little more together, so maybe there's more chemistry there, but I would probably be fine with either one. Uh, and I'm starting Pepe. I would have started Pepe tonight as well. There's no reason you can't start him and then take him off with 20 minutes to go or, or half an hour to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I, I didn't see the sense in starting Ferreira, and I'm not sure that selection was vindicated either. And um, But I don't think you're going to see major changes for Sunday. I don't believe so. Probably not. Probably not. I would agree with that. Uh, all right. The turning point for this one. Sometimes I'll have a creative answer. Oh, well, when this happened or this post was hit. You're, or, you're never creative. What are you talking that's about? That's a good point. That's, that's a fine point you make. Uh, tonight, I have no creative. The goal. The goal. 
that that was really it. Like I don't, there wasn't really a close call. Maybe if you want to say Alex Roldan not scoring on that shot, but you know he put it wide. It's not like he knocked one off. No, the post I don't think something. that was a turning point. No. Uh, to me, it's it's kind of a simple one that I don't really feel the need to overthink. No, I don't. Th- I don't think you need to either. Um, you know, it wasn't like the goal was was what was going to need to separate the two sides on the score sheet. That's what needed to happen. But in terms of general play, I think the U.S. were better. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a fine turning point, Andrew. I agree with you. Uh, the big winners from tonight. I have a couple. I have a couple listed here. Let me do mine first. Oh. Um, I I I don't think there's anything we saw from the midfield we didn't really already know. I don't I think we've been generally pleased with the way Wea has developed and made himself a starter in the side. Um Christian Pulisic we'll get to. Um Robinson for me was was the big winner tonight. Um, Definitely. Just just in general in the importance of his performance. Like if I was criticizing the midfield, if I was going to do that, um, I would say that often a lot of the good things that happened happen when Dest has the ball or happen when our two, when our two fullbacks have the ball. As good as that midfield is, our fullbacks getting forward, uh, creating overloads wide, creating one-twos, linking the play, doing all that stuff is really, really important to this side in the way it's set up and the way they give width. And so when Robinson is playing as well as he is, that stands out to me. He has made himself into one of the most indispensable players on the team. And I know that's a potentially big statement, but the reason I say it is you could go through almost every other position on this team and say, okay, well, if this guy got hurt at that spot, there's someone behind him who maybe isn't quite to that level, but not far off. The exception potentially being Pulisic, although... God forbid, uh, this is not me willing any injuries. I'm just saying injuries are a part of the sport. Right. Even if he got hurt, you know, Brendan Aronson is probably cover for him. And I think he's Brendan Aronson may not be Christian Pulisic. You know, I think Pulisic's the best player on the team. But Aronson, like, I'd still think we're a damn good team with Brendan Aronson in that spot. Um, Anthony Robinson is one of the only ones where I think if he's not there, uh, there's a problem. And you can move Dest over to left back, but it's not his natural position. Anthony Robinson is is excellent in that role, both in defense, his speed, his recovery speed, and what we've seen in attack. Huge goal tonight was the difference. Huge goal against Honduras. Got them back in that one just after halftime. Uh, so he's, he's quickly risen uh, during this qualifying period as being one of their most important players. Um, so he was he was probably my big winner tonight, man of the match, and and everything else that I just said. Uh, Tim Weah also down the right side. He seemed to be the guy for especially in that first half, who was probably giving El Salvador most of their problems. Yeah, and I I, th- I thought we could have made more of that. Yeah, I I think that pass was on nearly every time, and it look it's not intricate play, but it's a little clip ball over into that into that channel and just let him run at it. And the couple of times that he did it. Um, it, they they look dangerous, and we I don't think we, I don't feel we exploited that enough. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, he had the flicked header that on a different night Ferreira scores, and it's an assist for Wea. In the second half, he had the shot that led to the goal. On, yeah. on a different night where the goalie wasn't as sharp on that one, it's a goal. So on a different night, he's got a goal and an assist, and that's we're not that far off from having that conversation. So all in all, he was in good form in the last set of qualifiers. I thought for the most part, I felt like that still continue tonight and then one other one now 
this is not me saying that this was a great night for this guy, but I do want to just give you a, a sneaky, interesting stat on Jesus Ferreira. Okay. Not necessarily one of my winners of the night, but JJ, Jesus Ferreira is the second American to create four chances in a game this qualifying round. Anthony Robinson's the only other one who's done it. He did it against Jamaica. Only two guys in this qualifying period for the U.S. have created four chances in a game, and Jesus Ferreira tonight was one of them. Mm. Yeah. So creating a chance. He didn't finish the chance. Like, so, he's got to so finish better. So that he created the goal was one, uh-huh. his two chances, and then what was the th- I don't remember the fourth. Okay. But All right. I believe everything that I read. So there you have it. So I figured I would at least put that in there for the people saying, why is he playing tonight? You know, well, he, he certain corners might look at his performance and say, if he could just finish a little better, which maybe that'll come. But it's not like he was a waste of space out there. Uh, the losers tonight, J.J.? I I don't I don't see any losers. Who are the well, losers? Well, let's. I mean, if you're going if you're going to be this loser, uh, <laughs> if you're going to be this black and white, if you're going to be this cruel, shall I say? Um, Christian Pulisic was poor. Yeah. Um, running into blind alleys, holding onto the ball too long. You are a big body language guy. I think I really feel strongly about body language especially from your leader and captain yeah and you believe in it in sports a lot and um you before the game said look at his face there was a quick shot of him warming up and he looked uncomfortable or yeah. upset irked Irked. And who knows? Someone might have farted for all we know. Like it might have been nothing. And you know, in that clear night here, that's gonna <laughs> it's, it's, it'll you're settle. Gonna, you're gonna notice that. Um, yeah, and his performance uh, was it was emblematic of that kind of nondescript he was, he was kind of. Off. I don't know. Yeah, it and just he seemed off tonight. Even afterwards on the bench when he came off, no one likes to be taken off. But I think he realizes, or you could realize if you are Christian Pulisic, that hey. I got two more games to come. I need to come off now. I can't stay for the whole game and the big ones on Sunday. But even the shots of him on the bench, he was wrapped in 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 a in a towel. But it, but it, but the the headshot was framed around the towel, so he looked like almost like a child. Um, yeah. Again, context is important. It's freezing cold. It's not crazy to think yeah. he wants something covering his head. No, and and, but, and the yeah, warmest place know. was on the field running around. The minute you yeah. stop running, then you get cold. But he just, like Look, I we, said... We hold him to a high standard, and he was not. He didn't stand out tonight. But things, so. things aren't going great at Chelsea, not really. I mean, he had a run in the side. He scored the goal against Liverpool. But, you know, it's a club where he doesn't know week to week what his position is at it. Yeah, we'll and get to that a little later I, I suppose part two tonight. I suppose he wants to impact. He takes the responsibility of of being the main guy for the U.S. pretty heavily, and yeah. I and I think too much. Uh, bearing the responsibility, bearing the ball too much, give it off. Uh, fluid movement is much better than just trying to beat four or five players yourself. And I felt like he got caught in possession too much tonight, but it won't. Re- Nothing disastrous. Yeah. Just if we have to. You know, it's worth mentioning. That's and, all. And now, and now he takes his delicate body to the frozen tundras yeah. and concrete surface of Hamilton, Canada. One other loser that I have tonight. Stop JJ. calling them losers. <laughs> that is that is too much. Uh, set pieces. Oh, we. we so oh. it's interesting because we've talked about this during qualifying, and oftentimes our problem with set pieces is that they don't clear the first man, or if it's a shot, it's 
just not threatening in any way, uh, or it always finds an opposition head rather than one of our own. Well, the problem tonight, you know, that, yeah, that happened somewhat. There were a bunch of set pieces that didn't uh, didn't but find their intended target. Deliveries. But there was th- I counted three set pieces in this game that found American heads. One was to Yunus Musa, and it was off his head, free header, but deflected, never reached goal. And the other two, we mentioned Weston McKinney's before. I forget what the other one was, but the other two were both just free headers fired wide. At least let's start getting some of these on target. Like At some point, you're going to have to score a goal, an important goal from a set piece. These are opportunities that they are squandering game after game. So that's that would be my other one tonight. Yeah, um, Greg's told... Uh... Brian Scaretta of American Soccer Now prior to the game. Right now, we're minus one on set pieces. We've given up one goal and we haven't scored any on set pieces. So that is a concern. We want to be in the green. We want to be positive in what we think we have a strong team in the air. We think we have a strong team on on offensive set pieces and we've proven that. But when you think about Gold Cup or Nations League combined in the two finals, we scored four set piece goals. We know we have it in us and we just need to execute a little better on the offensive side. You see, that is something that a manager can control. Like, there's very little they can control. But good quality ball in and a good routine. And we don't seem to have... The quality ball was there tonight. There was one ball in the second half. I think it was maybe Pulisic's last kick of of his involvement. And he's whipped it in. And it's, it's perfect. It's screaming to be attacked. There's no one there. Yeah. Not good enough. Yeah, they got to work on that. Uh, so after this one, obviously there's two more qualifiers in this set, and uh, I'll probably ask this question after each one, but where are you at? Do you feel better, worse, the same uh, about this team as opposed to how you felt before the game? Um, I feel fine. I feel, I, I feel the same. I feel fine. I think uh, Sunday is Sunday for me is huge because this is the team now that is vying for that mantle of not just the up-and-comer, but establishing itself as the new force in CONCACAF. Mm-hmm. That comes down to our friend, ourselves and our friends to the north. And that is, that is very, very... That's very cool, I think. Um, I thought that we were miles ahead of them. It would appear that we are not that far ahead at all. In fact, on the table, we're not ahead. And so, for me, Sunday is a statement game. They will be without the best player in CONCACAF. And so, it's again the surface. The surface is that surface in Hamilton is bad. Yeah, and it's going. I I don't know that it even suits Canada really. It's it's <laughs> it's, that, it's that it's that bad. But all that being said, this is a chance for us to stamp our authority and to maybe push them back a little bit and say we are now top dog. We're the captain now. Yeah, getting and and so that that game is. It's huge for me, and and I didn't see anything tonight to to upset me or this was just the hors d'oeuvre for Sunday. Yeah, pretty much. Um, worth pointing out, JJ, for the U.S., eighteen points now through nine games in the final round of of qualifying. That's six more than the U.S. had through nine games in twenty eighteen cycle. So ahead of clearly yeah. ahead of where they were uh, in the last cycle. Um, all seven of the previous teams with 18 or more points through nine games went on to qualify. So I read these d- are good signs. I read our dear friend Doug McIntyre's piece in, on Fox today saying that, you know, even if we went 500 across the next course of games, 
will probably qualify. We would have to do what Alex Ferguson... We might be nervous. We might be nervous, but I think we're... Well, Taylor Twelman said tonight ESPN Stats and Info has it at 10 points through through these six... These final six games, they obviously got three tonight, so chalk those off. Yeah, um, and, and they're in, and, and, if, and in, in, not have to go through the playoff in. And if we can't do that, I mean, we should probably reevaluate. I mean, three wins and a draw. You'd like to think, you know, if you want to chalk off two losses, let's just be ultra negative and say loss at Canada, loss at Mexico. You should be able to still handle. You know, they should they should be in a position where that can happen and they'll still be all right. But obviously a win in Canada would go a long way in, in making us feel all the more comfortable. It's not quite uh, what Sir Alex Ferguson talked about, a, De- a Devon Locke. Do you know that um, reference? So Devon Locke was a, a horse in the Grand National, in the ni- one of the Grand Nationals in the 1950s. And he was literally a few lengths away from winning. He was, my, he was, in relative terms, miles ahead of the opposition and a noise or something happened in the grandstand because that's what he was coming around by. A uh-huh. clap, a noise, spooked him and he did this little jump and fell uh-huh. and somebody else won it and it, I think Devon Locke was the Queen's horse and it was just a big, it, a huge shock and so I think it was, was it? Newcastle, when they were running away with the title in 95-96, Fergie said, yeah, they'd have to do a Devon Locke now to give it up. And and they did. <laughs> uh, we're not quite at Devon Locke mode right now, but we are, we're in a good place. Yeah, a lot of teams would trade positions with the I, U.S. right now. I think so, too. Um, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead, let's take a break. When we come back on the other side, there's a couple other U.S. stories that I wanted to get to. Matt Turner, uh, Polisic. John Brooks, a couple things that, that weren't mentioning. So we'll, uh, we'll do that uh, on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside on a victorious Thursday evening here in the United States of America. That's, that's too much. A victorious evening. Yeah. Okay. Is it not? Sure, but... <laughs> What, what would you refer to this as? By the way, when when Andrew saw that they were turning off the turning on and off the lights in uh, in Columbus, Andrew did the same thing as well in the studio. I didn't think it was enough. He wanted frankly. fireworks, yeah. and we all know how I feel about you that. You win a World Cup qualifier, you get fireworks. Yeah. That's how it works in this country. Okay, we got some tweets, and oh. uh, these people don't think that performance deserved fireworks. Uh, Matt. Uh, Matt underscore K underscore TX. We need some set piece work. I think. Yeah, agreed. I think we agree with that. Uh, Matt Sears, usually a calm voice, need way more creativity from the midfield. Most of the attacks were terrible. At some point, one 0 at home versus El Salvador isn't good enough. How do we compete in a World Cup when we can barely win in a game like this at home? I think we answered that though. There's barely winning, and then there's we won barely. Do you know what I mean? Like. That game was was there for the taking. We should have scored more. I think it's more comprehensive than... But it's a fair point. It doesn't yeah. look... Uh, Ian Harvey, another um, another win, another step forward to qualifying. And I know that's the goal. I know that. But I now expect more out of this squad. Super disappointed with tonight. Hmm. Maybe I need to be shocked. Do you want to give him a shocking? Look, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give him the shock. But, like, we did talk... We were kind of of two minds when we started this podcast tonight. So I'm, I won't kill American fans who 
wanted more than a 1-0 at home against El Salvador. I understand that. I'm just saying it wasn't it also wasn't the kind of performance that has me worried necessarily. No, and I don't think it was as desperate as people are saying. You know, final ball, okay, couple of times slow finishing, not not really zippy in in that final third. Okay. But I think generally it, it was an okay performance. I mean, um, look, a lot of this too um like Mexico was down a goal tonight against Jamaica who were down a man for more than for half the game. Like Mexico needed two goals in the 81st and the 83rd to beat Jamaica who were playing down a man for 45 minutes. Like so it, it's not just the U.S. that are sometimes having, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Brazil, Ecuador in a little bit, but Brazil, who might be the best team in the world, won one against Ecuador. Like That was insane. <laughs> there's more to it than just that. But yeah. Like, yeah, so good teams have games where they don't necessarily give you everything that you want to see. Um, but I get it. I, I do also kind of get, you know, American fans who, who are waiting to see more. R.I.P. Betty tweets us, I cannot hear it every every uh, time he gets mentioned. So many people, the minute he came on, they did not have any tactical tweets to send us. No thoughts about his play, nothing except, It's a monster I've created. I don't even remember. What was it you said to me when he came? Because you, it's not just people who sent it to you. The second he appeared on TV, JJ screams it in here, but how does it end? Scoring with his shin, <laughs> my prediction. But in, instead, he he actually used his shin to control something, and it got away from him. He had a good chance for a goal too. Um, that's the general tenor of the tweets. Okay, and you've got to be honest with you. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, couple U.S. stories that I wanted to get to. JJ, they talked about it obviously on the broadcast. Matt Turner looks like Arsenal is happening. A source with knowledge of the discussions told ESPN that the fee for Turner's transfer is uh, $6 million up front. Could be as much as $10 million with add-ons. The Revs also get 10% in sell-on percentage if Turner moves from Arsenal. Taylor Twelman reporting that Turner will join the Gunners in the summer, allowing him to remain with the Revs for the start of the season in MLS. Um, it'll also keep travel to a minimum for oh. Turner for the remainder of World Cup qualifying. Ooh. And guess who's confirmed the deal five minutes ago? Coach Greg Berhalter. According to the Here We Go Man. So what I want to say about Turner is this. We talked about it the other day. And as you would expect, we're selfish people. We went right to, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. How does this affect us? We're what matters. How does this affect us? And I understand that. That's kind of speaking for all American fans. Um, but I do want to say this, now that we've kind of had a chance to let this sink in, that this move is going gonna, is gonna to happen. Matt Turner. Let's talk about this guy for a sec. This guy went undrafted in the MLS draft. He was then signed by New England and loaned out a couple times to the Richmond Kickers. Like, this was how this guy's career got off the ground. 24 appearances as recently as 24, 2015 for Jersey Express. Like, what you're looking at right now, Matt Turner being sold to Arsenal to be their number two keeper— Playing tonight in a World Cup qualifier for the U.S. men. This was never supposed to happen. This guy was never supposed to be a goalkeeper for his national team, never supposed to be the number two keeper at one of the world's biggest clubs in Arsenal, in one of the most prestigious, in probably the most prestigious league in the world in the Premier League. So, like, 
I mean, we can stress about this when the time calls for it, if, if we're finding that there is a dip in form or whatever. But for now, I'm going to give this guy all love because this achievement for a guy who was never supposed to be in the positions that he's in right now, this is phenomenal. Props to him. And on, on at least this night, in a night on the same day, it's a shutout for him in net for his national team and a qualifier, and he transfers to Arsenal. Matt Turner, undrafted. Props, man. You have earned it. That It's special. It really is. And the money he will get, um, some of the games he will play in, he will get opportunities, obviously, in the cup competitions. Mm-hmm. And whenever Aaron Ramsdale is injured or, you know, he's going to have amazing times. And maybe we can... Maybe we can just enjoy the move for him and and the trajectory of his career and put aside for a second our concerns about not having any goalkeepers who play for club football regularly. We can't do that, though. That won't happen. (laughs) No, but tonight. For tonight. Just tonight. And then tomorrow morning we can rant and rave about it over coffee. Um, JJ. Oh, come on. (sighs) Jesus. Uh, So Matt Turner... Will presumably become the ninth American goalkeeper to play in the Premier League. Oh God! Name all name all eight others. <clears throat> uh, Marcus Hanneman. He is on the list. Interesting place to start, but sure. Brad Guzan on the list. That's two. Brad Friedel three. Casey Keller four. Um, Zach Steffen five. Uh, no, I'm blanking. You're forgetting maybe the most obvious one. Who's the the um oh yes um Everton goalkeeper uh, now works for NBC Tim Howard Tim Howard yeah so that's, that's six. six and this is where it ends there's for you two, there's two others there's two other goalkeepers this is where it ends yeah no 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 I I, I won't allow it okay we're talking early nineties I would say uh, they're they're obscure aren't they can you give me a club no of course you can't you don't know anything <laughs> <laughs> can you give me any any hint. Give me a hint. God. Even- I would say uh, their names are not necessarily, well, one of them, his name is, is more of a traditional German name, I would say. Um, oh, why? I, I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself here. Go on. Go on. Tell me. Uh, Jürgen Sommer made 33 appearances in the Premier League. And Ian Freuler. Frowler. <laughs> so there you go. And... Uh, now, of those, for bonus, for extra credit, JJ, I'm, I'm, I'm stumped there. Uh, who had the most appearances of those of that list? I I would like to think Friedel. It was 450 because, appearances, Brad Friedel. Because he he had so much trouble getting into the country originally when he signed for Liverpool, work permits and everything. That when he got his opportunity to play, he would not give it up. He, oh, he went all in, accent and all. Yeah, he did. He really did. Remember yeah. we interviewed him? That was a great interview. I, I love talking with him. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. Friedel has the most appearances, 450. Then Tim Howard's next, 399. One more. Just one more to get to 400. I done well there, apart from the Zach other two. Zach Steffen, only two. I guess it's been all cups. Yeah, it's been cups for him, which is, again, concerning. Yeah. But soon enough, Matt Turner joins that list, JJ. Um, a couple other things. John Brooks I wanted to talk about. So we spoke about this on the last podcast, why he wasn't included, what's the deal, what's going on here, is there more than meets the eye? So I was on Twitter today, and Derek Ray, who is a great follower, yeah. if, you, if you love, um, if you love foosball, uh, it's 
German football. Ray is just, he's class. And he, he goes to so much effort. He makes Twitter useful. He will translate interviews and articles for us mere mortals so we can read and pretend that we know something that's going on in German football. Which is what he did today. Uh, obviously sensing that interest in what's going on with John Brooks among American fans is high. Um, he noted that the German publication Bild had a piece that was none too flattering to John Brooks. And so Derek Ray went through it, posted the translation in a series of tweets. Um, to give you the bullet points, I've got some of the quotes here that are important to mention, but the bullet points are um, essentially it cites some poor form within the club at Wolfsburg, uh, talks about his contract negotiations that are not really going well for Brooks because um, he's due his contract is up at the end of the season. Um, talks about Bearhalter not being pleased with his performances for the U.S., um, but uh, it also points out this, JJ. I'm going to read now from some of the translation that Derek Ray has here about John Brooks. Uh, quote, We've decided that John isn't the best choice for this window, said Bearhalter recently, but that isn't the whole truth, the article says. Ex-pro Bearhalter uh, was not happy with recent performances by Brooks in a U.S. shirt. Apart from that, he is said to have problems with the basic conduct of the Wolfsburg star. Mm. None of these things are good arguments for a new big money deal. Brooks's contract is up in the summer, and an estimated €4 million Euro a year salary he belongs to the top earners. It's unlikely that a comparable contract will be put in front of him. For Brooks, a problem. Six months ago, Wolfsburg were still interested in an extension, but the negotiations have stalled, also because Brooks is said to be unprepared to take a reduction. Then, J.J., the article says this. Um, it goes on. In that regard, he already has to do less for his money than his colleagues. I read that. I said, hmm, that's odd. What does that mean? That feels like a weird translation. They elaborate. While his teammates regularly take part in media dates in order to, among other things, provide insights into their lives as football pros explain good or bad performances or simply quench the thirst for knowledge of fans, Brooks can't be convinced to do any of that. These things, each of them individually on their own, are maybe not super concerning, but if you factor in not in great form for his club, hasn't been in great form for his national team, has in some way, it's not entirely clear, but it has in some way maybe irked Bearhalter off the field, has contract negotiations that he's clearly not pleased with, and off the field at his club also doesn't seem to be doing some of the things that players who earn far less than him are doing. You put all of these things together, and it paints a picture of a guy that I, you can you can maybe see why Bearhalter said, no, let Let's let him get right somewhere else, and then we'll talk about bringing him back into the fold. Yeah, you don't want to bring someone in with that frame of mind, and then possibly, likely, considering the way you're thinking about selecting your team, you leave him on the bench. That, that wouldn't be good. He wouldn't be good to have around. Yeah. Now, look, this is one side of the story, and there are people who have been watching Wolfsburg lately who said his form is back on an uptick, that it looks like he's maybe starting to come around. So, Well, we saw him in the Champions League... And he was bad, in a, particularly against, was it Lille, where Burke Yilmaz kind of ran him ragged. Um, so we don't watch him well enough to know what kind of an uptick it's on. But if he's in that headspace, probably better not having him around if you don't need to. So, yeah, something to something to monitor. And it it's, I mean, look, what it is is an opportunity. You know, like 
you've you've seen Robinson, Zimmerman, Richards. You see guys taking advantage of this spot that now we thought was locked down. Like we thought he, him and Polistic were like the first two names on the team sheet. Yeah, not so. Things change quickly in international soccer, and John Brooks is kind of living that right now. Um, just before you go to something else, Andrew, yeah. uh, back to the trivia you pounced upon me, Jurgen Peterson Sommer. Former American soccer player and coach, he's a former American soccer goalkeeper who became the first American goalkeeper to play in the Premier League when he signed to play for Queen's Park Rangers in 1995. Okay. And Ian Thayer, <laughs> Ian Anthony Thayer, talk about a journeyman. So he played for, most notably, played three games for West Ham United, uh, five games for Wimbledon, born in Las Vegas. These are some journeyman clubs. Club Brugge, Molenbeek, Los Angeles Salsa, West Ham United, Peterborough, Luton Town, New England Revolution, Rushton and Diamonds, Colorado Rapids, Cardiff, West Ham, Wimbledon, Derby, Tranmere, and Wolves. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Is that the order in which he was at those clubs? Because yes. I would have loved yes. to have been at the press conference for West Ham when they said, we've signed a goalkeeper from Los Angeles Salsa. <laughs> How did the fans take that? Yeah, no, he, he was, in 1993, he made 17 appearances for the Salsa. Um, and then he went to uh, West Ham United, didn't play, played 16 times for Peterborough and Luton Town. I have to see who the Salsa were, Andrew. I'm sorry. The Los Angeles Salsa was a refounded American professional soccer league franchise, so the APSL. They played on the campus of California State University, Fullerton, at Titan Stadium in Orange County. Um they were founded in 1993, dissolved in 1995. How did West Ham find him? I don't know. Ooh, notable players for the salsa. Jeff Agus. Oh, mm. okay. Yeah. World Cup for the US. Yeah. That's... I don't know any of these people. <laughs> wow. There's a story there. I want a Los Angeles salsa jersey. From our listeners on the West Coast, find me a Los Angeles salsa jersey. Bring it to me. I want it. <laughs> What what a cool thing to have, honestly. Do you think it's like a big bowl of salsa on the front, and Los Angeles, and the loss and the O in Los Angeles is the sunshine? Maybe. And look it up, and you can probably find it. While you do that, one other thing we talked about: Christian Pulisic, JJ. He spoke. He was pretty open uh, in these last couple of days about his time and how it's going with Chelsea, uh. and. You know, he kind of said a lot of the things that we feel as fans. He said, it's been up and down this past year for sure. Not exactly where I want to be and how I want things to be right now. But yeah, I'm just going to keep going. It's tough. I haven't always been playing in the positions I want to play in. Oh, don't do that, But I think it's a good quality to be versatile and be able to play in all kinds of positions and have different strengths on the pitch. So yeah, I've learned a lot and I think I'm ready to hopefully be in a spot in the next couple of games that I'm more comfortable in. He's saying a lot of things without coming out necessarily directly and saying it and punching in the face with it. But he wants you to know he's not like all the things that American fans have been questioning. You know, sometimes the fans do know something, you know, like we see him for the U S we see him when he's at his best for Chelsea. And like, we can tell kind of where he should be and shouldn't be. and, And he's not oblivious to that. This is another quote from, the NBC piece when I come to the national team it is how are things at Chelsea what's this and what's that it's tough that's not something it's not tough when it's going well 
No. You know, if he was an every game starter, like ask ask Weston McKinney how things are going at Juve right now. Probably he'd say pretty good. I'm enjoying it. I'm playing well. And then he'd give you suggestions on how to eat your pizza. <laughs> With lots of ranch dressing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this is a guy in Christian Pulisic who is frustrated, clearly. Now, what does that mean down the road? To be continued. I mean, we have openly said on this show that it might be in both his best interest and the club's best interest for him to find... I think Pastor is new. I don't think it necessarily has to be a Champions League club. He needs to go to a club where he is loved and cared for and <laughs> feels comfortable and plays all the time. Well, that's the big one. Yeah, he's got to be playing. And um, he's yeah. too good. He's too good. And you don't want to see these years squandered. And they look, they haven't been squandered. He was a huge part of a team that won a Champions yeah, League. Sure. So squandered is, is the know, wrong we, word. Apologies. We, Apologies. We are quite way. paternal when it comes to him. So. We are. We always have been. Uh, so that's that's the look at the U.S. JJ. I don't really have much else. Well, no, obviously well, we'll have another one of these on uh, on Sunday at a time to be determined. To be d- determined as there is a game. Right, a lot going on on right, Sunday. There is a lot of football of both varieties, both of the egg shaped and of the round shaped variety. Weekend daytimes are just tough. They are when you have rugrats, multiple like kids, and then obviously some other. Hugely important American sporting events also going on at the exact same time. Who like who schedules this? Yeah, I think a, a little bit more thought could have gone into it. But the, actually, can, does this, is this Canada who being like, look, this is when we're playing. We don't care if your fans are watching American football. Well, there Tough. is there is a process of selecting weekends and selecting times, and a, I'm sure it was tougher to do it this time, considering you're fitting three games into every window almost. So. Something's got to give. Would have huh? loved a nice 9 p.m. You, oh, you would have loved that. Right in the, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you got anything else before we uh, we roll on out? Uh, we have to go to Comma Ball, or Comma Calf, as I'm <laughs> going to continue to call it now. Because this is, this is absolutely wild. Um, Brazil kept their unbeaten record in Quito, but not without the wildest game ever. It was a 1-1 draw. Uh, Liverpool goalkeeper Allison was sent off twice. Uh, only to see both red cards rescinded after consultation with the VAR. Uh, Casemiro put Brazil ahead early on, but Felix Torres snatched a late draw for the host Ecuador, who looked tasty at times in this game. Um, the Ecuador keeper was shown a red card, red card, <laughs> which was just for just booting uh, Cunha in the throat, just coming to the edge of the box and then crane kicking him into the into the Adam's apple. You've spoken extensively in the last couple months I would say about goalkeepers recklessness coming out of net just coming out and just flying in in the encyclopedia page where they have like the writing on that it's a picture of this guy flying out and and judo kicking Cunha yeah and as if they wanted it was as if they wanted to you know to encapsulate as much drama in the first 25 minutes of the game Allison comes out has a wild high kick at a bouncing ball and he catches the Ecuadorian player coming down on the follow through on the follow through which kind of saves his bacon a little bit um, but let's listen to some of the of the drama from this game he's explaining and it's a red card Alexander Dominguez Emerson has already been booked oh he's off can you believe it it's ten aside well Allison came out a long way there and he's made contact oh it's another red Oh, now has he taken down penalty? 
penalty to Ecuador. He's going to draw the screen. No penalty. Gonzalo Plata with it. Oh, it's in! Felix Torres! Preciado hoping to make something happen. Out came Allison. Oh, the referee's pointing to the spot. Would you believe this? Well, what was Allison doing? Is he going to draw the screen? He is. And he looks very cool, calm and composed, the referee. No yellow card, no red card. He survives, there's no penalty. The drama continues. Uh, the call of the first Allison <laughs> Red. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because all of this has happened in 25 minutes. Yeah. It's it's utterly insane. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought Emerson Royale was a little bit unlucky in the second yellow, but on the replay, he boots the guy between the legs as he's coming down. Um, I just want to say to Wilmar Roldan, the Colombian referee, <laughs> this was one of the most courageous performances oh, I have ever seen from an official. To, to chalk off a penalty, to give them the win. Well, in, in, chalk off the red... Chalk off the penalty for the second um, incident, where which was much more contentious for me. After I- having sent off the Ecuadorian goalkeeper. Yes. So you know once that happens, tensions are heightened. Everything that happens from here on out, everyone in that stadium is looking for a reason. Now, Emerson was sent off, so that evened things up a little bit. But every you know, if you're going to send off our keeper, if the other keeper does something even remotely close to violent, we want him gone. Well, he did twice. And he was not sent off, the sec- probably correctly, but oh. unbelievably close. The second one, And the Andrew. second one nullifies a penalty as well that could have won it in stoppage time. You saw Wilmer roll down coming back from the, <laughs> from the VAR, from the screen. And I don't know, they, it looked sheepish. Like It looked like he knew he was about to be the most unpopular man in an entire country. I couldn't believe how—so so basically, on the second— red card which was also a penalty against Allison and that would have been to win the game for Ecuador he's the ball is hopped and he should comfortably follow through and catch the ball but he stops and then he goes to do a flying superman punch yeah. he does get the ball but he also punches the Ecuadorian player too uh, it's reviewed by the VAR and it's not it's the red card is taken away the decision on the field is penalty and red card that's that's taken away I was surprised how calm the Ecuadorian players were they were just concerned that they got their corner kick yeah, yeah. which I thought was amazing it is amazing the things that you can get away with as long as you get just even like the slightest touch of the ball once you've done that anything goes yeah I'm, uh, I'm incredible look, I'm looking at a picture of it right now uh, still I think they got the right call on the second one, but oh, just about. Yeah. Total drama in that one. And um, I guess we should round off by saying that the AFCON 2021, which is being played in 2022, the quarterfinals are set. Uh, Gambia will play Cameroon on Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Burkina Faso will play Tunisia. That's at 2 p.m. on Saturday. And then on Sunday, Egypt and Morocco. Egypt obviously got over the Ivory Coast. Fight four on penalties. Egypt, Morocco, kind of a North African showdown. And then Senegal and Equatorial Guinea completes the Sunday serving there in the quarterfinals. And uh, the semifinals will be on Wednesday 
and Thursday. The match for third place will be on Sunday, and the final will be Sunday, February 6th. So, Love a good third place match. Oh, yeah. You got to have that. I'll tell you what, they in got. In the middle some, of a pandemic. I know that, you know, they lost some, some of the big teams, Ghana. Uh, Nigeria, but there's there's some good ones left. Egypt, Morocco, Senegal, Cameroon, the host nation's still in it. Still some some really good soccer to be played there. There definitely it's, is. Coming in for an exciting finish to that yep. tournament. And uh, that's pretty much it for now. Uh, we will, people who are craving transfer talk, I'm sure something will happen over the weekend. That I'm will... so done with the January window. It's, so, all, it's all talk. So, the January window is the drunk guy in the corner of the bar it's all talk, no substance. So are Newcastle United, who... Well, now, they have actually signed Kieran Trippier. They've done some things, but... They have, but they they were really going to... And what, you know what? Coutinho did wind up at Aston Villa, so I, I from, lie. Some from, things have happened. From what we were told, Newcastle were going to do a lot of business because they have all this money now, and they're realizing that they have to pay a premium for this talent <laughs> because of who they are, and it's not quite happened. But there is until Monday, and maybe things will... Get over the line. That's true. You know how these things I work. was reminded today by uh, Sky Sports Retro on YouTube about the window in 2014 where Arsenal brought no one in except Kim Kallstrom, <laughs> and he was injured. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a rough one. Yes, right indeed. there with the uh, the Nelson Saha Tottenham window. Wow, what a window that was. Right, they had like Ryan Nelson. They were battling and, for Champions League. Yeah, and they signed that. That was their. That was the summer transfer window too. I think was it not? Or was that a January? window? I think it was a January window. Yeah, and because everyone expected Harry to roll down the window and give give the press his. Yeah, you know we're trying to get it over the line, Crouchy, Nico <laughs> Cranshaw. Well, you know. Yeah. Ah, <sighs> great days. I think the transfer window is definitely not what it used to be when Harry rolled down the window and there was a purple. In the ear of a Sky Sports presenter, those days are gone. <laughs> it's sad. It is uh, the good old days. Peter Peter Onam Wingy, right? Him oh. showing up at uh, <laughs> Drive, training grounds, driving that, to QPR. That he had no business being at essentially. <laughs> then be told to go back. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sad. Uh, this was fun though. This was fun. The U.S. three more points in the bag. Canada coming up this weekend. Canada, by the way, uh, JJ. In case you didn't see, it's final now. Two 0 They won. Jonathan David added a, a late one. They are. They are. It's the it's the fight on Sunday. Who are the new kings of the Concacaf region? I mean, region? Mexico still have something to say about Mexico that. are done. They're a busted flush. It's <laughs> over for them. Uh, you, that was JJ. Everyone. They're right? nothing. That was JJ. They're nothing more than a holiday destination. Oh now. my I'm god. Sorry. In, in football terms, that's it. I'm, they are the poor relation. I don't know what to even say to all this. Hey, we'll just end it. Let's just end it. Hey, to you I say... Take it later, fun boy. See you later, man. Take care, brother. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 